Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and today, my very special guest, I have Andrew Whitener, founder of District Performance, played baseball at Princeton University. This is the show where I get to talk about sports. I get to talk about business and I get to talk about everything between and I think Andrew fits that bill perfectly. Andrew, how are you doing today, man? Doing great. How about yourself? Doing great, man. Doing great. Is it the last place Washington Nationals right now? Just want to... I think so. No, no. No, you're looking for the World Series champion Washington uh, Nationals. Oh, see, that, there you go. Uh, I like yeah, that. You throw that on there. Throw a little gold yeah. lettering on the jerseys. And uh, we're going to live with that for five to ten years. And everything that happens in the meantime is gravy. Pretty much. Yeah, I always uh, always felt that way. I'm a big Giants fan. So those, those two... The first Super Bowl, I was like, this is awesome. Kind of was cool with it that second one i mean my uncle's a vikings fan dude's never seen a uh a freaking super bowl in his life so i'm pretty much you know i'm way ahead yeah poor guy but i'm way ahead of the game i'm loving it uh baseball has been really weird this year i'm very excited to talk to you about that excited to talk maybe a little washington football club as well of course i say that facetiously love the name love the name but andrew the first one and oh washington football team though that is very true they beat the eagles so i will i will i will root against the eagles every single week of my entire life um including that super bowl including that super bowl against the patriots i rooted for the patriots which i felt really dirty doing but i had to do it man i had to do it but good yeah first question i have for everybody on the for the love of sports podcast is why do you love sports so much why do i love sports so much man that's a good one. Um, I think that sports provides an opportunity to fulfill kind of basic human needs. And lots of things can provide that. But I think it's a foundational element of humanity that everyone wants to be a part of a group. It, you can call it, you know, tribalism, you know, whatever it is. But I think everyone has felt that that want and that need to feel accepted. It could be uh, your work. Like if you have a job that you really like and you're with a team and you guys kind of band together and you complete tasks and whatever, like that can be your group. Uh, lots of different extracurricular activities for kids can be that. It doesn't have to be sports. It can be you can be in a play and that like anybody who's, who's like done theater knows like there's this gelling of, of people together. And I think sports is like one of the best ways for people to feel that, that group acceptance and togetherness. And I think we need that. And that's why, and it can also be not necessarily as a participant, like athletes feel that if you're a part of it, feel this togetherness with your teammates and, and your coach, it's also as a fan, like sports, whether you, whether you like them or hate them or whatever, they occupy a certain place in our culture where fans feel this like tribal connectedness to themselves. Anybody who's ever like, talked sports with, you know, if you're a, if you're a, a Washington football team fan and you're just like walking down the street and you see somebody with gear on, obviously it's new gear now than, than it used to be, uh, which is probably a good thing. But any anytime you're just in public with some random person and they shout something out about like the game that weekend, like you felt this kind of connectedness. If you go into a game, right? With if you go into a college, think about it. You know, you go down to LSU, you go to a tailgate. There's a hundred four thousand people in Death Valley. You feel connected to that group, and it becomes a part of your identity. So that uh, that interconnectedness is is so great. And then I work with kids a lot, and so I see firsthand. The, the second piece, which is 
sports provides real life opportunities to experience like different things, like lots of different, lots of different things that needs and growth, consistent opportunities for growth. So self-sacrifice for the good of the collective group, learning delayed gratification. I have to work now so that you know, I have to work hard and practice so that in the game I can get a hit, you know, whatever it is. Um, you know, how to deal with success and failure. Failure, probably the biggest one. I coach baseball. There's no sport with more failure than baseball, right? I mean, the common refrain is if you fail seven times out of 10 at the plate, you're a Hall of Famer. So having all of those opportunities, especially for young people, they're just a little harder to come by in just your normal life. Like if you're going to school, like there's a little bit of that. You have to study so that you do well on a test, like that kind of thing. But it's so often in sports. Every at-bat, you struck out the first at-bat, you have an immediate opportunity, your next one, to see if you can build some mental toughness to not say, I already struck out. I suck. I am not going to get a hit this next time. There's no way. Provide you with an instant opportunity to turn that off or learn how to, how to slightly manage it enough that you can be productive, that you can have some success. So all of those opportunities for education and growth, especially in young people, are just really hard to find elsewhere. And that I think is like the real source of value. Not that sports th are the only things that can provide it, but they provide it really efficiently. Um, and then, you know, for, for adults and, and others, um, the feeling of connectedness with a group, which I think is inherent in our, in our humanity. Yeah, that's just human nature. And I think the one thing, you know, that you say they do it, sports does that very efficiently, right? Like, there are very few activities or very few things that you can do that encompass all of those things. Learning how to fail, uh, sacrificing for the better of the team, delayed gratification, communication, discipline, time management, all of those things. Yes, you can do all these things in all these other places, but sports then adds on the interconnect and it adds all of these things together, which I think is fantastic, especially if you play them. I think that's the most important part is you're going to get all of that in one spot, as you said, with that efficiency aspect, because that's something I mean, like I, I worked in a restaurant when I was growing up, loved it, favorite job that I've ever had outside of talking into this microphone. And, you know, when somebody, you know, you know, when you go out to dinner with somebody that never worked in a restaurant or, or you know, hmm. when you see another table and they that person never worked in a restaurant or even the service industry. So I think it's it's one of those things where you can kind of tell people that grew up and now some people played sports a little bit longer. Some people are gifted with coordination. And uh, let's be honest, some are not. But you can tell when someone has had that understanding failure that has that, you know, communication aspect. Again, I love the delayed ratification. I think that one's really important too. And again, having all of these things in one spot is really important. And again, the interconnectedness, I love your, you know, your, your comment on, you see someone walking down the street in Washington football team gear, you're going to say something, man, Chase Young is an animal, isn't he? Yeah, man, he is. You guys are immediately friends. And then it goes yeah. the reverse. I can see someone, okay, maybe, I can go to Philadelphia, also worst place on planet Earth. It's the only place I've ever been heckled before in my entire life for just wearing a shirt. I just was wearing a Giants jersey. And they're How literally starting to like yell. I know, right? I can't believe it. I mean, I've, I've been to New York City many times, seen a guy with a Boston hat on, a Philly hat on. And everyone's just like, okay, whatever. Not a big deal. You go to Philly, they will yell at you from across the street because they're bad people. But that's not the point. I do think it is important, though. This is a though, thing because, on this podcast, huh? Do you just oh, bring on like bash Philly? I'm all in on bash, bash Philly. It, baby. We do, yeah, Let's, 100%. We'll do this for the next uh, 45 minutes, man, if you yeah. want. I'm totally fine. Success I love it. and I failure are the same thing in Philadelphia. 
it's met the same and the it. same then the reaction is rioting just in general if Love our it. team succeeds we're going to grease the light poles so they can't climb up them in celebration and destroy the same place that they live if we fail out of anger let's destroy you know the the place that we live love that's philly sports this Excellent. is going to be great, well reasoned. We're going to have so much fun with this. One. <laughs> no, I, I love your comments on you know what sports means and how how they how they really bring us together. And and even let's be honest, if I do see someone else in a Phillies you know or an Eagles jersey, I'll say something. It's a fun back and forth most of the time. Sometimes it's a little hostile, um, but sometimes yeah. you know they'll you know it, it's it's fun, which is always good too because again it, it brings us together. And as you said, it's in our humanity that we want to be a part of something, whether that's you know the Giants team or it's the NFC East team or it's just the NFL yeah. team where we all can have that conversation and it's an easy easy way to start a conversation have a good one and enjoy it from there so where so that's where that's why you love sports so much where did this come into your life at what point did you start playing baseball did you start enjoying these teams in in the Washington DC area uh well I had been playing sports since I was really a really little kid. My, uh, my parents tell a story about how when I was like 11 months old and I had just like started walking, they had like one of those you know, yellow T-ball bats, you know, those like the skinny yellow or uh, not T-ball, wiffle ball bats. So they had one of those like a little T and a wiffle ball. And so they have like a home video of me like taking this yellow wiffle ball bat and hitting the, the ball off of the tee when I was like 11 months old. So that's like how they tell the the first introduction to sports story. But really it was just like, like a lot of kids, I got exposed to like multiple sports growing up. Some in like some more formally, like, like T uh, like an organized league, T-ball and, and uh, soccer and, you know, stuff like basketball, stuff like that. And then some informally just like playing with friends. And it was as simple as like, it was always my favorite thing to do it was my absolute favorite thing to do always was like play sports with my friends so that just kind of naturally grew as it does i think for a lot of athletes where it just it just grows and grows and grows over time there's never nothing ever kind of gets in the way of it and then it turned out that um you know baseball i, I played like most people our age um this is this is changing now but like most people our age i played multiple sports until i was in like middle school like probably almost high school um, and then I really kind of started focusing on baseball. I played basketball in high school as well, but I, I really started focusing my efforts on baseball and then ended up playing in college. Um, what was the other part of that question? Like, I don't know. That was my, per- oh, oh, my fandom, my fandom. Yeah. Fa- so yeah, similarly, I just loved, I just love sports. I've been a sports fan for my whole life. That part's probably increased how much of a fan I am since I stopped playing. I was, I think I was probably more focused on just the, the aspects of like training performance and all that kind of stuff. When I was a player, I was, I was definitely a sports fan, but not, not as big. And now my fandom has kind of exploded. Um, I think like you, I'm just a, I'm a polyglot sports fan. I, I just, I really enjoy all of it. I enjoy it because I look at it through this lens of, of working with kids and, and, you know, trying to understand like the cultural importance of it. Mm-hmm. And I also just love it. I just really enjoy watching things be done at a really high level. So like I love yep. pro sports or like the Olympics, you know, whatever it is. I don't care about, I don't watch competitive swimming unless it's in the Olympics, but if it's in the Olympics and it's like, you know, the, the metal round heat and whatever, like I'm all in. I just, I mm-hmm. really enjoy watching the mastery at this point. Um, I, 
completely yeah. agree with that. I think watching the most talented athletes in the world compete against the other most talented athletes in the world, I couldn't care less what sport we're watching. I want to watch it. Because yeah. again, as you said, the mastery, the time, the energy, the effort, the blood, the sweat, the tears that everybody on that court, on that field, in the water put into getting to that point. I need to respect yeah. that. And then I want to watch them put that all out on the line for those 45 seconds, for those nine minutes, whatever it ends up being. I don't know. But I love every second. I love the women's uh, NCAA college softball. Love that. That is so much fun to watch. Uh, unfortunately, we don't get too much female um softball uh professional softball on tv really yeah. so that's you know I'll, I'll watch the next best thing the olympics again same thing just watching the best in the world at pretty much anything is fun for me to do and i think that's important and as you said it's really interesting actually you said your fandom actually grew as you left the sport when in, i think it's usually the other way around it's usually when you're a kid you're really really into whatever because you know you're a kid yeah. and then kind of over time you're like all right like i'm not as fanatical anymore um i have probably become a little less fanatical still. I mean, fan is short for fanatic. So let's be honest about that. But I, I am kind of curious. We spoke about it, uh, you know, a minute ago before we hopped on being in the DC area. You had one baseball team. You had the Baltimore Orioles. You had a football yeah. team who was really good in the nineties or the early nineties. And then kind of, yep. I don't, I honestly don't remember. I I can think of one year uh, where the Redskins uh, slash Washington football team has been good in my life. And it was that RG three year, which was come fun. on. Um, oh, but outside of that, I, I got really nothing yeah. else, but um, there is nothing. else. I, yeah, pretty much. But uh, a Clint Portis, he had a couple good seasons, I think, but with, um, yeah. with, with that, uh, specifically on the baseball side, cause that's where you grew up. That's where you play. And obviously we're going to talk yeah. about Princeton here in a little bit too. And, and that's what you do as, as a pro profession, as a career. What is it like when a new baseball team comes to a city? I mean, D.C. is not a small place, especially the DMV area. It's a pretty big yeah. place, millions and millions of people there. You have the Orioles. They kind of always have sucked. They've always kind of been a scrappy underdog. Um, you know, Mike Mussina, all that stuff. And then he leaves, goes to the Yankees. So you always kind of have that little brother effect. Mm. What is it like when a new team comes into an area? And how quickly do you adopt, like, Hey, we're all in. Levon Hernandez. I am. I'm totally in. Like, let's go. I mean, the Nationals. It took them a minute to get good, but yeah. what's that like? I've never been in that type of situation before. You know, it's funny. I've never, I've never kind of thought about it this way. But the the arcs of the Nationals and the Washington Football Team have been inverse. They've been completely inversely related. Mm -hmm. the, the The Washington Football Team has been around for a really long time. It's one of those like storied franchises that had a ton of success years and years ago. And that built the fan base up into this huge fanatical following. And they're still as terrible mm -hmm. as they've been, as mismanaged as they've been by Dan Snyder, the owner, for 20 years, however long he's owned the team. It's still the number one ticket in town. It's still by far the most popular thing. Turn on Sports Talk Radio, they will be talking about the Washington football team. So they've, but at the same time, like it's been this steady decline of how interested the fan, even though it's still on top, it's just mm -hmm. going way down. I mean, it's just going way down. And then inversely, the Nationals, which didn't exist here until 2005, have had this kind of steady ascension to the point where they, you know, they win a World Series. Not that, not that the, the growth of the fan base and the winning on the mm -hmm. field is exactly connected, but I think in yeah. part it is. So they win a World Series in 2019. So they really have been completely divergent paths, which is interesting. But um, to answer your question, when when I was a kid, you know, I was born in 1989. So in 2005, I was, I don't remember when they announced it or whatever. I was like 15, 16. 
um, everyone for baseball would the the general theme was you would just kind of adopt the teams of your mm-hmm. parents. If your parents were baseball fans, like in, in most places, you would you would adopt those loyalties. Washington D.C. is you know we say it's a transient town. So many people who live here, especially in the city, uh, did not grow up here. They mm-hmm. come here for lots of different jobs. Federal government's here, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, so there are it was already kind of a diluted fan base and it exists more like you said in the dmv in in maryland and virginia um but so it was super diluted for baseball before then i was my dad was from st louis my mom's from cleveland i would kind of adopt the st louis cardinals and the and the cleveland indians those are the teams that i would follow the orioles are here so if you wanted to go to a game you would drive up i-95 and go to camden yards which is a great ballpark and i loved the orioles game as a kid incredible ballpark so I would I adopted those those teams, and then when the Nationals came, it just it felt like it was. Some people jumped on them immediately, but to me, mm-hmm. it kind of felt like it, I was jumping ship. I, I wanted mm-hmm. to keep these you know old loyalties, and then really what what it took was me moving back home, moving back to DC after college, because now I'm living here you know as a as more of an adult than I was when I was in high school. And I was a resident and, and I've always, I think that tribalism thing comes into play. Mm-hmm. I've always like felt that and I want to be connected. I'm very proud of where I'm from. I want to be connected to my locality. And I always was with the other sports, I'm a Wizards fan, a Washington football team fan and a, and a Caps fan in, in hockey. Um, and so I just steadily started following the nationals more and more they were getting better at that time you know mm-hmm. i'm not going to say that wasn't involved if they were like yeah. an absolute bottom feeder the whole time who knows if that would have happened but they're really i mean i just love baseball i love watching professional baseball and they were on tv every night so i think that's kind of how that happened and and i would say that same thing has happened to a lot of other people and then they've just been around for long enough that the kids i coach now mm-hmm. i coach say i'm coaching a 13u team right now so mostly 12 year olds They've had the Nats their whole life. They grew up here. The Nationals have been around. They've been pretty good in general. So I'm, I'm watching the birth of a fan base and the death of another one in the Washington mm-hmm. football team. Um, and they, their their businesses are ran completely differently. And it's that part's really interesting. I hadn't thought about that angle yet. Yeah. Shout out Mike Rizzo. Dude knows what the hell he's doing. Um, Shout out Mike Rizzo. Earn that contract, Mike. Good for Absolutely you. What a incredible. Awesome. Cause I know he, awesome he needs executive. our praise, of course. So like we have to give it to him, but no. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, just, yeah, as you said, just, just the, um, the, the, uh, the differences between the Washington football team, especially with all the allegations and reports and everything that's come out recently and needing to pretty much overhaul the entire ship. We were talking about it before. I'm a very big Mets fan, very excited that the Mets are finally sold because you can change the GM. You can change the coaches. You can change everything about the franchise. But if the owner stays the same, everything is top down, right? You're going to have the same people in charge and they're going to pick the wrong people. As we've seen, especially with the Mets, we've seen with the Washington football team, they're going to do the wrong thing over and over and over again, because that's what they consistently do. That's what they've done for 20 plus years, whatever those numbers are. So it's nice to see some ownership change for the Mets. I'm sure you're hoping for the same thing. I don't know how Dan Snyder still has his job as I don't know why he's still allowed to be the owner of that team. Kind of confusing to me, but hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, we figure that out and can get him the heck out of here. Um, does look like we're frozen. So, well, there we go. We're back. Got you? 
Yeah, got you. Now. Cool. You cut out for a minute. Sorry. I was gonna say we froze. It's not your fault. We froze for a second. It is with a technology, man. We roll with it. We roll with the punches. Yeah. So let's talk about um your baseball a little bit. So you went to Princeton University. So you're from the DMV. You had to get the opportunity to go to Princeton University, play baseball. First off, did you did you really think you were going to end up going to Princeton? I mean, let's uh, let's this is pretty damn impressive. I mean, from an academic standpoint, from a from a um you know a, a sports standpoint as well. Were they on the top of your list? Were you just kind of shooting into the dark and saying, I mean, let's try something out? Did they come recruit you? How did that How did that opportunity come about? Yeah. Um, so when I was in high school, I was uh, baseball was my was my favorite sport. It was the one I focused all my energy on. I knew that I wanted to play in college from the time I was a little kid. You know, my my dream, like most young athletes, was to play professionally. That was what I wanted. So it seemed like the you know the path that that I had understood that I'd seen mm-hmm. certain people take. You know, I I really w- I want to emphasize how important that is. That when you're young, whatever path it is you want to take to see people who you can identify with that have walked that is so so valuable i think that's i don't want to get too much into into politics but i think it's a really important piece that we undervalue as a society that like to present something as an option it can't just exist Mm -hmm. in in this nebulous way it has to feel like that possibility exists for you so you know, I'm a white man from a from an upper middle class, you know, ha- household. I have, um, you know, a decent amount of, of privilege I was born into. So I saw people who were just like me, either from my school or school just like mine from my area, walk this path where they go and play baseball in college. So I was like, okay, that's what I that's what I need. That's the next step. Got to do that. And then I'll have a chance to, you know, play professionally. So I went, you know, we figured out the the, pro- the recruiting process for baseball. We don't need to get into the weeds on exactly how it works, but so I would go to these showcases and mm-hmm. and stuff, and and coaches would you know go to them to to look for players and and recruit them, and so I ended up getting recruited by, um, I I, I knew uh, I was a pretty good student, so like I knew that I wasn't going to put all my eggs in the baseball basket. I wasn't going to go to a school that I didn't think was like particularly good academically just for the baseball piece. I really I, like I needed those two things to be together. So I got recruited by schools like that. So it was places like Georgetown, um, Princeton, uh, Brown, um, and then like I was lightly recruited by uh, uh, Dartmouth and Davidson. So like pretty good academic schools. Yeah. They also have you know good baseball programs, Division One baseball programs, um, and and most of them had sent players to to play professionally. So they were just like checking all the boxes for me. Um, and Princeton started recruiting me really late. I, it, I was, wasn't really being recruited by them much at all. And then they kind of jumped in late. I'm sure they had um, other players they had ahead of me that dropped off the last minute, whatever. But when they, when they you know, offered me, uh, offered me a spot there, it was, uh, I think it was, it was a relative no-brainer for me. It was the school I thought was the best one. And they had had really good success as a baseball program. And they'd sent players to play, to play professional baseball. And uh, yeah, so that was that kind of happened late in the game for me relatively to the normal recruiting timeline but um it was yeah it was just i mean it was great it was, how, it was exactly you, what i wanted 
Yeah, I mean, it sounds fantastic. Again, I've been to the campus. Looks like Hogwarts. I absolutely love it. It's gorgeous. <laughs> such a cool place. Uh, yeah. And I, again, I live like 20 minutes from the Princeton campus, depending on the traffic. Could be 45 because 206 is might be one of the worst highways in the world. But we don't. Yes, 206. God, the worst, that. dude. The Forever. absolute worst. But yeah, with like, like as you said, you wanted to play professional baseball. That was your number one goal. You wanted to comp- You wanted to have. Go. You you had high academic standards for yourself. How did you kind of, especially at a place like Princeton, how did you still keep that goal of wanting to play baseball alive with the amount of work, with the amount of time you needed to then put into schoolwork as well? How did you kind of like balance the two? Because I'm sure that's not the easiest place in the world to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's it's a, it's a super valuable skill for anyone to learn how to balance like multiple, multiple draws in your time. Um, I guess it was kind of like, I, I, I think naturally, like I, I work with lots of kids now from kind of youth all the way up through high school. So I see how I, I see the gamut, like people who run the mm-hmm. gamut of time management skills. I mean, everything that's involved in growing up maturity, all that kind of stuff. And I just think naturally I, always like understood how important school was. And I was like a dedicated student. I don't think I deserve any credit for that. I think that's probably just a combination of upbringing and who my parents were. And then just naturally, however, my genetic code hit. I just that that was something that was not like not an issue for me. So I knew going in that I had to stay on top of all of my schoolwork. I had to like, on and on down the line. I was not the world's greatest student. I am not the world's smartest person one of the most valuable things about going to princeton for me honestly was it was just a daily ego check on like how smart you are like going into it like i thought i was a pretty smart guy and then you get into a place like that and i I don't know i don't know if you and and our mutual friend Stephen elmore have talked about it but like most of my good friends from college would would tell you like you came in you thought you were pretty smart and then like you take your first midterm in mm-hmm. your, you know, e- econ 100 class and like you do fine. And then like 25% of the class is just like getting a perfect score. And you're like looking around and you're just like, like, how did you, I mean, I took an, a 300 level econ class. It was a two question midterm. The first part, the first question was defining terms. Really simple. Everybody did well. Mm-hmm. The second part is like an A through Z, like quantitative question for every part. Uh-huh built on the part before it. So if you get, if you can't do a, you can't do B through Z. If you can do a, B and C, but you can't through D your, your test is over and you literally cannot answer any of the questions. And I came out of it and I was like, that is the first exam. I have hard failed in my entire life. I had a hardcore F didn't answer half the questions Mm -hmm. and the curve comes out and they put like the, 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 the bell curve of, of the distribution of the exam results on the, on the board, the professor did. And I think I, I think I ended up getting like a, a B on it or something, yeah. you know, it was curved uh-huh. so heavily. Yeah. So all these people hadn't answered any questions. And then on the end of the curve was, was like the two or three people who had gotten perfect scores. They had answered every single part of it. And I just remember that. And I was just like, you're on a different plane. Like your yes. brain's on a different a plane different. than mine. Completely. Yep. We are very barely the same species. You are just so much smarter than I am. So that ego check was huge for me. I, I, bring that, I bring that with me into my into my life now, but that was a tangent. Sorry to answer your question. No. 
I like that I though. Did, I actually yeah, want to stick, the, yeah. I, I ahead, stick there for a second because I think that's that's yeah. pretty. It's it's a good point because yes, you are on a, a different plane. I could totally. I mean, I can't relate that much. I went to Rutgers, great school, but like, let's be honest, it's not an Ivy League. Granted, first college football game ever. We got that down. Hey, that's right. We got that down. We got that down. Always, always love to bring that up. But they with only that, let I white mean... people play back then, so it's I don't know <laughs> if it counts. And I think the game was like three to two because they didn't really score touchdowns the same way. But that sounds that's another fascinating. Uh, yeah. Another another birthplace of college football, New Jersey. Here we go. With um <laughs> with that though, I mean, it's got to be pretty cool to know you're in the same class as those people, though, right? I mean, you're in Princeton University. I'm sure it's a total ego check, and and everybody and to tie it back to sports a little bit, it's the exact same thing, right? You go from high school where you're the cream of the crop. You're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Everybody loves you. They're all hugging you because you're so amazing. You then get to that next level and you're just a guy on the depth chart, right? You're just, you know, you're the fourth, you're the fourth running back. You're the fourth outfielder. You're the, you know, seventh bullpen arm yes. where you came from. That's where you were. You were the greatest thing ever, right? We've all seen yes. that at our high school. There was the running back, the wide receiver, the quarterback. That was incredible. And they go and do absolutely nothing moving up. They're just big. It turns out. Uh, so I guess like with that, like it, tie that to the baseball aspect too. Like, as you said in school, yes, you, you were obviously smart. You got to Princeton, man. We can be humble, but let's be honest. You got to Princeton. We're not frigging around here. Um, in terms of baseball though, how did you, how did you, was there any of that dealing with as well? Cause understanding that these guys were so smart, and, you know, very cerebral, but then now seeing, you know, it all play out on the field, I'm sure you were great in high school. You don't get to division one baseball by accident. Was there that same kind of learning curve? Let's call it when you yes. got to play baseball there as well. hundred um, percent real quick though. I do want to say like, yeah. I, people assume it, it's, it's like a common reaction when if people find out like where I went to college or if it, it comes up, like they assume that that you have a certain level of intelligence. And I really, I really truly believe this. This is not false modesty, but I really believe intelligence comes in a lot of shapes and sizes. And getting into an Ivy League school means that I have one certain shape and size, one certain type of intelligence. And also like just as important, I really think it means that like I had a bunch, I had a bunch of legs up that got me to that point. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I, when I took the SAT, like maybe I would have gotten a normal SAT score, but like I took an SAT prep class and mm -hmm. I guarantee it made me do better on that test. You know what I mean? And like you just stack that on every other possible advantage I could have had. Um, I really think like we're not controlling for, there's a reason there's so many successful people who got nowhere near an Ivy league school, you know, like it is not a, a, yeah, I just don't think it's a perfect, it's like a perfect evaluator of how intelligent a person is. I do, I do appreciate that, but I will say there's a lot of people that did take that SAT prep class that didn't score as well as you. So let's, again, Fair. I appreciate you being humble, yeah. but again, you don't get to a, a Princeton by accident. Uh, but anyway, yeah. any, anyway, yeah. back to baseball. Anyways, the baseball part, absolutely. It was a chin check in the exact same way. You, I mean, I think probably every, every athlete, except, like the exceptional ones, the, like the true cream of the crop, who are exceptional in high school and then they're exceptional in college and then they go on to the pros and they're exceptional there. Everyone except for those kind of Hall of Fame level talents who never really have the same kind of struggles as everyone else gets to a point where all of a sudden you're in a much bigger pond and you're just not as good relative to the mm -hmm. competition as you used to be. That absolutely happened to me. Yeah, I mean, I was a very good high school baseball player had a lot of success. And then I got to college and all of a sudden I was not nearly as good anymore, you know? So I, you know, I didn't 
and play professional baseball as much as I would have would have loved to. And I just I really think like I found the limit of my combination of like talent and then and then work. And the one of the one of the things I tell kids that I coach is that the probably like the most impactful thing that I can teach someone as a player is eventually your career will end. And most of the time, like it ends because you can't keep playing. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, it's not because you're like, I don't want to play anymore. Or you're like a big leaguer, a 20 year big league. And you're like, I will retire now. Most of the time it's ended by someone else. And it's someone either telling you to your face or telling you through their actions, you can't play anymore. And when that happened, so for me, it was my graduated from college, my senior year of college, the season ended. And then I, I knew based on my, you know, performance or lack thereof that I wasn't going to get drafted. And I, I, I didn't want to pursue the kind of the lower levels of professional independent league, professional baseball, just because I, I thought I'd reached my limit. I really honestly thought that, but I thought that because for however much I knew then, and I wish I knew then what I know now, I, I do this from a coaching standpoint. I worked as hard as I could have. I was really honestly dedicated to my craft and for, for what it was, for what my environment was, I don't have any regrets about my sports career. And then, and then it ended. And that really is like, uh, it's a comforting thing. I have a quote board at the gym and one of the quotes is disappointment fades, regret lingers. And like, I don't have any regrets about my sports career. And when I work with young athletes, if I'm working with a 15 year old, who's like, got some talent, but is just, you know, doesn't have a particularly good work ethic. Doesn't really, you know, it doesn't really care to maximize it, whatever that regret when it ends, I think would have been really vicious to, to grapple with. And I didn't really have to grapple with it. I just had to grapple with the disappointment that mm -hmm. I wasn't a superstar level baseball player who was going to then go on to be a big leaguer, but you can get over that. Cause it's, it's just real life. There's, you know, there's not much else, much else to do, but get over it. But I didn't have the crippling regret of like, God, I mm -hmm. slept through a bunch of early morning lifts or I just loafed through warmups every day at practice. And I wasn't really ready for the first 20 minutes. So I, you know, all my reps started halfway in or whatever, whatever it is, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I had that experience of like not being as good anymore for sure. And and, you know, at the end of the day, 10 years later, whatever it is, um, I'm okay with that now. But at least you had some fun, right? I think that's one of oh, the yeah. important things, too. Well, you won a champ, won a conference championship, something that oh, I yeah. think um, everybody in sports wants to do. You, Whatever your group of teams is, win that win that group. We, we won our conference when I was a junior. And to the, it's I'll never forget it. It's one of the great, great memories of my life. The smartest and the most athletic. Look at that. Suck at Harvard. We got you covered there. Um, so yes. so after Princeton, as you said, you obviously wanted to go play professional baseball. You kind of understood that was not going to be in the cards. Yeah. When did you decide along the way that you wanted to own your own business? Um, well, really, really kind of by accident, not by accident, but um, kind of forced upon me. I... Uh, when I graduated from college, I moved back to DC and mm -hmm. the only thing I knew like professionally, I was a, a economics major and a lot of my classmates uh, went to work in investment banking or uh, in like commercial real estate or um, consulting, you know, stuff like that. Oh, that and sounds I knew, 
it oh, sounds that terrible. Sounds yeah. I mean, good for them. If you want to, I hope they're making yeah. a lot of money. Yeah. If you like it, but good man, for you. that sounds awful. hundred percent. Everybody likes different stuff. So absolutely zero judgment, but I knew that would kill me on the inside. I didn't want to, I didn't want to work at a desk is what I had in my brain. I knew I did not want to work at a desk every day. So I moved back home and I started working with the strength coach, you know, personal trainer who I had been training with from the time I was like a junior in high school. I think I, I started. And so I started working with him. His name was Josh Courage. He owned his, his a small business called Courage Performance. And um, I thought I would just kind of be like an intern. It was, you know, it was a one person operation. Mm-hmm. It was just him. I thought I would just kind of be an intern for like the summer after I graduated and then figure out, yeah. you know, what I wanted to to do with my life. And at the end of that summer, he decided to move to California. So he had these, he was doing, he had a similar like kind of client, like breakdown Mm -hmm. to what I have now where I do some personal training with adults. And then I work with, and then that's like half. And then the other half is like young athletes. So he was doing the same thing. He had all these people who were training with him. And I had been like working with them as the quote unquote intern over the summer. So I just stepped in and started training all of his clients. No experience, no, I mean, besides like my own athletic career, I'd watched him, you know, work for a little while, intern. So I'd learned some, but absolutely not ready to, to mm-hmm. do that job, much less like run this piece of the business. So I get kind of thrown into that. And, and then I just kind of, I did that working, you know, kind of in tandem with him, but I was the only person here. I was, you know, I was mm-hmm. running you know, this side of the, of the business for myself. And I did that for years. And, and soon after he left, one of my old baseball coaches was going to open an indoor baseball facility in DC. And I went to him and pitched him the idea of like, including a gym space and letting me run it, which to his, I mean, I don't know where I'd be if he had, if he had said no, but he said yes. And that's where I've, I've been kind of running my, my business from, from this, this indoor baseball facility has a small gym face face has a small gym space and has like a big turf area. So I did that for years and years, and then in 2018, um, I, I don't the the specifics of it are are like somewhat personal. But he and I, Josh and I, had you know essentially like a a falling out over mm-hmm. business related stuff. Nobody nobody you know killed each other's dog or anything. Um, and and well. I so then I started my own uh, mm-hmm. business, which is which is called. So I've been that. Um, essentially the exact same like client breakdown, you know, so I still do personal training and I train young athletes, uh, mostly young baseball players. Um, and I've been doing that ever since. And then throughout that whole time, I've been coaching baseball for my old baseball coach who opened this training facility was for a, a nonprofit travel program. So I coach baseball for them as well. So I basically do the strength stuff. I do the baseball coaching. Um, and it's a very, you know, kind of symbiotic, um, relationship i love that man that is awesome sorry about the falling out thankfully as you said nobody Thank killed you. anyone's daughter um but i hey, said dog hey. but yeah daughter oh would be, my god would oh be worse. holy yeah. goodness i thought nobody you said daughter like, man dog. that is Jesus. excessive like of all the things you could have said nope, but that makes not sense it. That makes i mean sense. killing your dog yes yeah, so i love my dog like a daughter yeah so i was gonna way. say i love i love my parents dogs a lot too um so yeah as you said it's kind of like um 
Did you ever along the way, like, as you said, you kind of started out the intern and then you kind of just like, oh, I guess I'll keep training people. Did you like apply for econ jobs along the way? Was there any point in time? Because again, having, you know, being a business owner is very difficult. It's not, I mean, it's fun, but it's also not fun a lot of times. How many yeah. times was it like, you know, man, I this is good, but like, I just, I need the security. Like, I, I just want to do something else. I want to work for somebody else. I want to do that. Did that ever cross your mind or ever really kind of almost break you down at any point during this? Honestly, no, I've, I've just, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. I, nobody, nobody's a hundred percent happy, like of with course. their job. There's always something that, that you change or bothers you a little bit, but like, I genuinely love my job. I get to coach baseball. I get to coach young athletes. I get to coach like older adults, which I I mean, I love every piece of that. They're all a little different. Um, they all require like different, the development of a different skill set on my part, they require different preparation. Um, and so it's not, it, it doesn't get vanilla. It's not bland. Like I, and I still don't want, I still don't want to work in an office. I won't say, I, I won't say I never will, or my, my preferences will never change, you know, like obviously that is possible being, you know, existing in a pandemic, like seeing mm -hmm. the, the security that, that comes with, well, I mean, lots of people have lost their jobs and I can act like that's yeah. not happening. But yeah. if you, if you work a job where you've kept it, having the security of not having to do all the pivoting and just like, okay, I got to do my same job from home. You know, like that happens to some people that sounds great. And you have health insurance and you have like all that stuff. Um, so like, yeah, th there are things that if I could like, just add that in, I would add it in, but no, I would not trade this for anything. And I, I just, I, I love it. it. My business could, I, there are things that, you know, ideas that I have about how I could subtly shift it here and there, like mm -hmm. tweak who I'm working with, what my work hours are, all that kind of stuff. But no, I, 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 I have gone on one job interview in the, whatever it is, like eight years. Um, and it, I, I, they, I guess they could have like made me a, an offer that was, was like, so incredibly good that I would have job, but I doubt it. And it never, I never got close. And it doesn't even matter because you're still here now. I think that's the important part. And, and with that, you bring up obviously everything that's going on in the world. And it's been difficult for personal trainers. It's been difficult for, uh, I mean, at least here in New Jersey, I think gyms just opened up a couple of days ago, uh, which really, I, mean, I don't, totally, wow. Yeah. I don't totally agree with because I think the mental and the physical aspect of being able to go to a gym is extremely important. And again, if you could do it in a safe way, probably yeah. should have been opened up a little bit earlier. There's obviously arguments to both sides, most densely populated state in the entire nation. So that part doesn't help with a lot of these things. But how have you been able to personally, you know, do what you need to do in terms of either having people in the gym or, or you know, training people outdoors or especially with team activities? I know that was something yeah. people were really worried about in the beginning because kids are gross and disgusting. No offense to any kids out there. But that's just kind of how the world works. Yikes. I was a kid. You were a kid. We know how it works. Like, <laughs> How, how have you been able to kind of, how, how were you able to really navigate, especially the beginning when the whole nation really felt like it was like a solid two months of, I'm not going to leave my house to now yeah. we're, we're a little bit more opened up, especially in a lot of places around the country. Like, how did you navigate those waters as, uh, as, as time has been going on here? Yeah. Um, I am honestly thankful at this point, I, my district performance is a one person operation. It's just mm -hmm. me. So I'm, I'm thankful for that because I haven't had to make any of the real hard decisions, which is as an employer for an employer, as an employer, like you, it's, you, know, you have human beings working for you. So 
you're beholden in some parts of your business. You can't just like keep losing money and then you go out of business. The business is gone. Uh, but also if you furlough people or lay them off or cut their salaries or like whatever, it's negatively affecting another person. And that's been uh, like the restaurant industry. Like I, I love, I love restaurants. I, my wife and I, we have our, our date night every Friday and we go to like lots of different places around DC. I love it. You know, it's just one industry that's quite public that has is been widely publicized how hard it is for them right now. So I really feel for those people. So I feel really lucky that it's just me where I have the, you know, the agility where I can just, you know, like all the group workouts I was doing, we're going to do them on Zoom. And I'm and I've got an email list of all the people that that I'm going to send it to and like I know that X number of people are going to be into it. We're going to do it from home and like I can just I can just do that. I can just do that immediately, you know? So that's basically how I got through the the stay at home when, when DC was under a stay at home order and I could not and would not have anybody come into the, the gym. It was on zoom, man. It was video calls. It was personal training clients who like wanted to keep doing it. So we would get on FaceTime or whatever it was. They do it from home. I still have people who are doing that, who, you know, especially older, older personal training clients who don't want to come into the gym for, you know, perfectly legitimate reasons. Um, with the kids, it was like all on zoom, our, our spring baseball teams. We did like, like at home zoom baseball training sessions, which were like all of it, honestly, for, for what, for how hard it was went surprisingly well. Like you can get a surprising amount of good work. Is it the same? Of course not. But like it, it went, it went pretty well. And then, so basically it was pivoting from all in person pre pandemic to all not. And that was weird and took some time to figure out, but happened. And then it's been just a steady as the reopening happened in DC and Maryland and Virginia. And they've been, they've been honestly really good about like coordinating their efforts um, so that we don't have like an explosion of, of cases in one place that affects the other. It's just been pivoting constantly with whatever phase of reopening we're in. And I've been able generally to do that again, like be just because structurally I've only got, it's only me. Mm -hmm. I only have yep. got to figure out what hours each person can work out or what groups they can do. Do you have Zoom? Do you not? And are you comfortable coming back in? You know, like, so it's been stressful just like everyone else having to figure that out. But I generally, like, I try as hard as I possibly can not to complain about stuff. And right now it's so, you get a dose of perspective mm -hmm. every time you open the newspaper, every time you turn on the TV. There are so many people who have so much worse. So yeah, like it's been stressful for sure. It's been a stressful five months, but like that's that's the end of what I'll say. It's been, I've been able to keep doing my job. I love that. And congratulations, kudos to you, man, for being able to do that. I think that's the most Thank important you. part, as you said. It's been very difficult for a lot of people, uh, present company included, and it, it, is, it is what it is. As long as you are capable of, you know, as you said, looking at the bright side, I will say two things. One, don't open up that newspaper, and two, don't turn on the TV. If you really need to know something, <laughs> you'll hear about it, I promise. But uh, yeah. outside of that, I think it's pretty important. And and being able to work with kids, it seems like that's something you love uh, being able to work with. I mean, really all age ranges and you get to do it within the through the lens of baseball. It sounds like more than anything else. How cool has it been to be able to take the sport that you've grown up loving, you know, from a very young age, since, since 11 months old, it sounds like to then be able to take that and be able to help people in multiple ways, as we were talking about in the beginning of the conversation with time management, with discipline, with delayed gratification, being able to help people learn all these skills and traits 
And then on top of it, the physical and the mental, uh, uh, the abilities that come with that, how fulfilling is that type of job? Because it seems like, as you said, you love what you do. And now you get to do what you love again, just through that lens of the sport you love the most. For sure. It's like, yeah, I mean, it's an incredible blessing that I have, you know, that I don't feel like I've truly earned that, that really has just been, I don't know. I just, it just feels like a lot of those things have, have dropped into my lap. I guess that's, that's kind of privilege, privilege at play and then doing some work to take advantage of it. But um, it's outstanding. I am a better coach than I was a player for sure. Um, It's kind of a constant, one of my like central guiding. Yeah. Please. It's, it's as simple as, as empathy, like never forget what it was like to, to be a player or, you know, uh, never forget what it was like to like think a workout sucks or not to feel motivated in the morning or, you know, whatever it is. But as long as you can empathize, you can be an effective coach. So I'm able, it's, it's super rewarding to see young people who like love the game. Like I did, you see, like, there's just something about youth, man, like this youthful exuberance and like unfettered optimism and, and competitive drive and like all that stuff. And it's just beautiful to watch. It's as simple as that. It's just fun to be around period. But I feel like if I can be a positive, like adult member of a kid's life or an adult's life with my personal training clients, if I can be a positive member of their circle and encourage their like growth as a human being, then I feel like I'm putting good, like a uh, value out into society. And that really is like what I strive for in my life is to take advantage of opportunities and privileges that I've been given and then give them back to people who might not have had them or people who do have them and still deserve to be happy and like work hard to, you know, for what they want. Um, but yeah, it's super rewarding. I can't believe, I can't believe like what I'm able to to do for a living and watching people that I've coached succeed in is nice. Like watching them do well. If I train a baseball player for a long time and then they turn into a really good baseball player and they play baseball really well in college professionally or whatever, that's really nice. I'm not going to say it's not, but it is, I'm not kidding, just as rewarding when some kid I train in high school and in college, maybe they don't play, they don't play any sports in college. And then they come home and they come into the gym and they just like hang out and shoot the breeze with me for like 30 minutes. And we just talk about like how their lives are going. And like, they tell me like, oh, by the way, like I went to the gym and I did like X, Y, and Z exercise that I learned as a ninth grader, you know, and it like has helped like, you know, whatever, like guide my own working out and like helped me be a, a healthier, fitter adult. Or they just like have a positive association association with like me and the relationship that we had when it was like coach player and just being a positive member and watching them grow and do whatever it is that they want to do is so so deeply rewarding like that is i thought that's my favorite stuff when they do well in sports it's great for sure because it's like direct you know you just yeah. feel like you actually had a hand in that um but the indirect stuff too man it's just like it really people you say it takes a village you know people are positively impacted by or negatively impacted by lots of different people in their lives and that builds them up into a the smorgasbord of person that they are and being a part of that process um if you're a positive one which i try to be is 
that's the best. It's the best. Yeah. And it sounds like you are a very positive person. And I appreciate the hell out of you there. I like to think that I'm a pretty positive person as well, unless it comes to my Mets or recently my Giants. But other than that, uh, you know, I always do try and spread a little positivity, spread a little love as well. And that's why I do love having this show as well, because I can have people like you come on, talk about what you do, why you do it, why you love it and how you're helping. You know, you're not changing the you're changing the world, but it's really legitimately one person at a time. Uh, and you don't yes. know what that's going to do. And I think the important part is, as you were saying, you know, you're, you're, you know, even if they don't go play sports in college, like we, as we spoke about, like sometimes people hit their peak and it, it is what it is. And as long as they can understand, Hey, I did everything I could. Turns out I'm just not capable of playing division one college baseball, dude, you yes. and pretty much everybody else on planet earth are incapable of that. Yeah. So it's really not that big a deal. Um, you know, having a hand in then being able to push them forward even more, right? Like so many people stop playing sports. So they stop working out, you know, so many people stop playing sports. So they, you know, start waking up later and start doing things. Now, of course, it's going to happen in college. But if you can get people and keep people on that track, I think that part is extremely important to get them to understand that, yes, you're not playing sports anymore. But there's still that physical aspect, there's still that mental aspect that you can carry over from playing sports yes. into yes. what you do every day, whether it's work out, whether it's work hard at, in school, whether it's, you know, make sure you, you have you know, consistent communication with your, your family members, your loved ones, your friends. I think that part's pretty important as well. And again, as we were saying pretty much this whole time, you can learn all of that through the lens of sports. And it seems like that's what you're teaching as well. It doesn't seem like you're just teaching, you know, how to do a correct deadlift. It sounds like you are teaching a lot of these well-rounded things that make people people, right? Like, so, so often we get stuck with the social media of just, Hey, that, that, you know, this person, their Instagram is incredible. They must have the greatest life ever. Or, you know, you're on Twitter and everyone's just trying to communicate through 140, not 280 characters. And those conversations suck because they're not conversations. They're just people yelling out back and forth at each other. And it doesn't make any sense. So it is, um, it is what it is, man. It is what it is. looks like we lost you again. This stupid internet. Why does the internet doing this to us, Andrew? We were doing such a great, oh, you're back. Okay, cool. Um, but that's, I mean, that's, pretty much it for me man i mean you you're incredible uh, i feel like we could talk for another hour but we're about a little over 11 30 so maybe we just run this back um maybe towards the playoff time when both of our teams are out in the miami marlins are uh, <laughs> jokingly in front of us uh in, in the playoffs but andrew where can everybody find you on the internet in case they want to check out you they want to check out district anything that you got rocking and rolling because i think and hope some people will go out and uh, and check you out a little bit yeah, I've got a, a Twitter and a Facebook page, but Instagram is the one that I that I post on the most. And uh, you can DM me, you know, whatever you want, comment on pictures. But I post on there a lot. And, and the, the Instagram, District Performance DC, is the handle. And that'll give you a, a feel, I think, for, uh, you know, what the gym's like and, and you know, maybe, maybe what I'm like, too. But uh, that's the best place. I appreciate that, man. And one last thing. Um, I've been thinking this for probably the last 20 minutes. Uh, has anyone ever told you you kind of look like Steven Strasburg? Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay. I was say, <laughs> I've been, I've, yeah, I've been waiting for it a little bit. Yeah. The when beard I have especially. short hair and a long beard, um, I get mistaken for I get mistaken for Steven Strasburg a decent amount. How tall um, are you? By any just out of curiosity. I'm 6'3", too. Like, I'm a pretty okay. tall yeah. guy. So, Hard I'm not dude, quite yeah. as tall as he is. But, yeah. But, enough to, I mean, enough honestly, to fool some people. 6'3", to 6'7", to me, means nothing. Because I'm so damn short. It's just whatever. That person's <laughs> a lot taller than me. But, Andrew, sincerely appreciate your time. Andrew Whitener, founder of District Performance, formerly baseball player at Princeton. Again, I will have uh, the Instagram. I'll have the other handles as well in the show notes here on YouTube as well as on the podcast. Please subscribe. Please like. Please rate five stars if you're on Apple Podcasts. That would be sincerely helpful. For Andrew, for Michael, thank you so much for your time today and I uh, hope you have a wonderful rest of the day.